welcome to the podcast of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. It's about crazy family stories. We all have one, right? More importantly, it's for those of you living with someone who suffers with a mental illness. You can start to feel lost in their world. Now I get it. I grew up with a bipolar mom addicted to pain pills. Hoping the stories shared here will help you through difficult days. It's not all serious. We laugh and joke too. If you have little ones around, pop in your headphones. Adults only, please. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me on Of Course They Make Me Crazy. I'm April Norris, the host. So guess who's joining me again? Oh, Dr. LaBelle is back, Dr. Daniel LaBelle. He's back to talk about borderline personality disorder. And so, hey there, Dr. LaBelle, how are you? Doing great, Uh, happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Okay, so, you know, I invited you back really to to talk more about this, but to help me close out the one year anniversary of this podcast. I've been doing this for one year. So ironically, uh, the one year anniversary is gonna be June 12th. Um, Why that's ironic is it will also be the fifth year anniversary of my mother's death. And, And, you know, this is why she is why I started this podcast, My Mama. So here we are. Thank you for joining me again to to close this out. And also, uh, the reason I brought you on is because our borderline personality disorder episode that we did nearly a year ago was the highest downloaded episode of the podcast consistently through the whole, you know, every month. So... Uh, so people want to know more about this topic, uh, of course. And you spent, you are nearly 30 years, you corrected me this morning, <laughs> 30 years you've been helping families get through BPD. Um, and you've written two books on the topic. So, you know, this topic with you, have written you've books on it, it probably doesn't surprise you that it is such a hot topic and people want to know more about it, or, or does it surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me. It's, it's an emergent topic. In other words, uh, it, it, so many of the responses I get from people, which I think is, is representative of the general population, is sort of people knew that there was something wrong, uh, either in a loved one or sometimes in themselves and their families, and they, they, they grasped to try to understand what is this? What is going on? And so when they see my work and the work of some others in the area, they, they say, oh, finally, there's, you know, there's a name to it. Someone understands this. I get it. And, and so I think it's emergent. And I think we're still learning more and more about the disease, the disorder, uh, and how to work with it. So let's talk. So you know, another reason I wanted to have you on is because I had, I got somewhat of a a little bit of a negative email. And I addressed this during my last episode, just a tad, but a few weeks ago, uh, there was a woman that emailed me referring back to our original borderline personality disorder episode. And um, so we won't spend too much time on this, but I wanted to kickstart our conversation off today by reading what she wrote. um, And then we can kind of address it and then we can go on. And I think that this, this episode would be very good for her to hear because we will be addressing some of her issues. But this is what she wrote. She says, I felt compelled to reach out and let you know 
that I really wished you'd have treated the BPD episode with compassion. I have BPD because of complex PTSD due to persistent childhood trauma. My mother has dissociative identity disorder and was in a mental institution the majority of my early life. And I have a father who was too preoccupied to give a dang about the emotional needs of his kids. I have never had a chance to develop a healthy sense of self. No one was available to teach me to relate to others in a healthy way. How about you talk about that on your show? That those who have BPD probably ended up with it from some sort of childhood trauma and that we should treat them with kindness, respect, and compassion. Everyone deserves that, right? Even those with BPD. Not cool, guys. And it ends there. So as you, Dr. LaBelle, you know this, and it's not your intent. Our, uh, we don't want to disrespect anyone. Um, and she's right. Everybody should be treated with kindness. But I went back and I listened to that episode two times <laughs> after I got that email because I just felt like that's what I needed to do. And, you know, I, I feel very 100% that we were not disrespectful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I read that email, I was perturbed. And my first, you know, indication or my first thought was, well, of course you have BPD. Sure do sound like someone with it, right? And so, but she had a point that we didn't really cover um, how and why people are diagnosed with it. But, you know, this podcast focuses on those of us who live with people with BPD and things of that sort. But I just wanted your, you know, your thoughts on her email. Well, I absolutely agree with her. Uh, and I live my life that, and I agree with you, April, that uh, everybody should treat one another with kindness and respect. I think if we all did that, we would be living in a much better world and I might be out of business. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately uh, that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, and uh, the uh, issue of borderline personality disorder uh, falls into a category of mental illnesses uh, that uh, cause pain and suffering in those who have the mental illness, but also uh, the mental illness causes them to cause pain and suffering to those around them. And so we end up with uh, the person who, who is suffering from the disorder itself, in this case, BPD, uh, and then we have those around them who are suffering from the effects of the other person who has the BPD, uh, uh, that the BPD is causing them to cause pain to others. Other uh, diagnoses in this category would include alcoholism, uh, where an, an affected individual who is addicted to alcohol or other substances for that matter uh, is in, usually in a lot of pain, is putting them, their health at peril and, and usually their lives are compromised because of it, but also those around them suffer uh, by many, many of the effects of what occurs with uncontrolled uh, substance abuse such as draining of family funds. Uh, people become abusive when they're intoxicated on certain drugs, alcohol and, and amphetamines are more notorious for that than other kinds of substances. Uh, in addition to the uh, occupational 
impairment that's also caused by that. In other words, people have trouble at work because of their substance abuse, various aspects of it, and that affects their family with regard to their financial integrity. Worst case scenario, of course, is the drinking driver uh, whose uh, addiction to alcohol or another substance causes them to have a fatal accident and take the lives of somebody around them. And so in terms of uh, honor and respect uh, and, uh, and, and, and even really celebrating uh, uh, a person who is suffering from BPD uh, or, or any of these other disorders, but we're focusing on BPD, what we honor uh, is not the having of the disorder, uh, nor do we honor victimization. Uh, that's very sad, and we might have some compassion, especially since uh, in, the, in the writer's situation, there was PTSD or CPTSD, complex P PTSD involved, and we have compassion for the pain, but the honor, the respect, and the celebration is when the person fights this terrible disease as much as anybody can. The people who suffer, unfortunately, were chosen to be in the position of being champions of their family and of the disease in their fighting of the disease and not accepting the symptoms that cause others pain and also cause them dysfunction. In the fighting of the, this disorder, uh, the writer can join uh, with myself and all of the providers and her own family members uh, to take a strong position against the enemy, which is the disease, not the person who has it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, not to be victim of it. Not to be yeah. a victim and not to identify. People mm -hmm. sometimes identify with things uh, and, and language sometimes, and, and actually in my therapies, we talk about this quite a bit, uh, language makes a difference. In other words, is there a difference between a, a BPD person, a BPD mother, versus a person or a mother who has BPD? Yes, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Illnesses are not part of your identity. Are you an alcoholic or are you a person who suffers from alcoholism? We view it as a person who suffers from alcoholism. We fight the alcoholism and we band together and we honor those who champion against it the most, not only for themselves, but for their families and also for our community. Yeah, absolutely. Someone probably said you have BPD and when some people, when that gets popped into their brain, they just, they roll with it. You know, I've been labeled and I'm gonna label myself. Um, which is unfortunate, but it, it happens. Well, let's get more into this, uh, this topic. Um, so a few weeks ago, you addressed, is it NAMI? It's, it's um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Did I say that correctly? You were very close. Uh, it's the National Alliance of the Mentally Ill. Okay. NAMI, and uh, I address the Putnam NAMI, which is the uh, one of the counties uh, here north of New York City in New York, but NAMI is, is a national organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those who uh, might benefit, which would include both those who are affected by mental illness themselves and also the families of them, uh, can find uh, tremendous resources by looking up their local NAMI 
pretty much in almost every county uh, in in the in the United States. They're a fabulous yes. organization. Yes, I've I've browsed and have gone through their their websites and have read their um, information and you know just just randomly through the years. If I find an article, it tends to or something, it tends to be on their website. So, well, good. You did a presentation though using audio recordings of, well, it was just audio recordings of someone reading blog responses sent to you by daughters of people who have BPD. So um, you have a blog and it was a response to your blog and then you had somebody record the, the writings, their emails to you. So they're really heartbreaking, Dr. LaBelle, but they're, they're, they're also fascinating. Um, and I wanna set this up. So I'm gonna use those same recordings that you sent me. So for those of you listening, you're gonna have some random voice come on and we're gonna uh, have you listen to the recordings. But um, I first wanna set the first one up that you sent me, Dr. LaBelle. So it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a 50 year old woman who wrote to you explaining that both of her parents had borderline personality disorder. And I think I remember uh, hearing that it was so bad that she attempted suicide at nine years old. Is that correct? She did report that in her, in the email that she wrote to me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and listen to this clip and then we're going to come back. Both of my parents had BPD. I am in my 50s and grew up in a time when not much was known about common behavioral disorders. BPD was thought untreatable back then, so it would have been a lost cause even if my parents had been diagnosed. They both lost parents at extremely young ages, and sadly, this shared experience is likely what brought them together. My childhood was one long, non-stop abusive episode. They were jealous and suspicious towards each other, needy and frequently dysregulated. Violence was a daily occurrence, as was incest. I was told by my own therapist that I do not have BPD, but I do suffer chronic depression, PTSD, and attempted suicide for the first time at nine years old. I knew things were hopeless for me when my mother berated me one day for not being grateful that I had her, since she didn't have a mom herself. She was jealous of what I had and never stopped hating me because of it. Now, with my own kids, I am unsure of myself and felt I had imposter syndrome as a mother. They sadly have tried to assure me that they believe I am a good mother. I was so broken by my own upbringing that I will probably spend the rest of my life in therapy trying to heal the damage that a disorder that I myself do not have did to my psyche and my spirit. Okay, so Dr. Um, LaBelle, so someone in her situation, is there, how does she ever heal from that? Does she ever heal from something like that? 
That's a, a wonderful question, uh, April. And uh, I wish we had a few months to sit here and talk about that. <laughs> we can, but I'll try to break it down a little bit uh, into some uh, not only meaningful, but useful parts, uh, because it is uh, the, the $99,000 question as, uh, as uh, used to be referred to. Yeah. Um, when $99,000 actually uh, value. <laughs> Uh, is that how much money they spend on <laughs> services trying to <laughs> heal from it? No, I'm just teasing. I know it's probably different for, for every person, but I would, I'd love to hear your expertise on that. Well, one of the things that uh, is very meaningful and, and I think very helpful to look at is that people who experience a parent that has BPD uh, as a child uh, have a very unique uh, experience uh, and also one which is actually different from the adult's experience, even the same person as an adult. And the reason is that a child, say a nine-year-old, for example, that is with a parent who can be hurtful or abusive, either because of BPD or for other reasons, because of alcoholism or some other mental illness or some other circumstance, the nine-year-old person is trapped. Nine-year-olds cannot take care of themselves. They're not legally permitted to try. If they did try, uh, they would fail. Yeah. Human beings are generally not capable of taking care of themselves and they are stuck. They yeah. cannot leave the home uh, other than in extreme situations, uh, which you know would involve changes of custody and guardianship, et cetera, et cetera, which do happen sometimes. But for most people, they're stuck. And because they're stuck, they adapt to constant or consistent abuse or hurtful behavior by a primary caretaker by fragmenting themselves. The fragmentation of themselves enables them, and this is actually where I believe that the DID, the dissociative identity disorder, and the dissociation in general that's associated both with BPD and with PTSD occurs, where the person uh, attempts to be there in the sense of physically being there because they have no choice, but they emotionally and mentally remove themselves from caustic, toxic situations that are occurring with the caretaker. This inhibits the natural process of identity formation, which is one of consolidation and, and, uh, and, and increases in durability. And rather the fragmented parts of the personality that occur, especially at nine, and it would be even worse at age six, the younger it is, the worse it is. Mm -hmm. These fragments then start to diverge from one another rather than consolidating and can produce uh, a full-blown uh, dissociative uh, situation. So uh, in terms of healing from this, people need to, as adults, uh, first start at the position of realizing no longer trapped. Yeah. Adults are no longer trapped. And that makes all the difference in the world because inter interpersonally, we're going to be setting boundaries. And that means you have to be able to leave. And the nine-year-old can't leave. The 50-year-old can leave when she wants and when she needs to in order to preserve her mental health or it could be even her physical health. The problem is that when it comes time to leave, they experience what we call regression. They go back in time, not only to the time when at nine years old, when all of this started, or maybe perhaps when it was at its worst, 
not only do they go back there in terms of memory, but they go back there in terms of their way of looking at the world and also in the way of dealing with their emotions. And they can become very much childlike in their thinking and in their reactions. Again, because the personality growth stopped because of the, the need to fragment. And the fragmentation had become a defense, a way of coping with uh, being hurt or being abused. So the healing piece of it is now they have to recognize that you don't need to fragment. You never should fragment because you don't have to stay. You can leave. And so we turn the fragmentation really 180 into a, a process of consolidation and the protection of the self as a consolidated self, which means you can't touch this anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the key healing, identifying the regressions and being able to halt those regressions by using more adult-like mechanisms of defending oneself that are consistent both with not being trapped and also with a mature sense of self, such as the person in the clip that we just heard shared with us. Uh, she, reached, she decided at, at, at 50 or, uh, or thereabouts, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And, and I think we're going to hear one of someone that, that decided that earlier on. Some of them decided early on, but they're not able to decide that or do anything about it until there's a viable exit. Yeah, because she probably just felt trapped still, even though she wasn't physically trapped up until 50, it was still trapped in her brain and the way she thought. And sometimes people just that little light bulb goes off of a simple comment is you're not trapped anymore boom you know it's like you're right holy shit i'm not trapped anymore and that's all that little line is some can can do so much for someone and it, that might not have been it dr labelle but it just you know, it, it's just kind of like, even me listening to you, I'm like, whoa, you're right. At nine years old, she was trapped. I didn't think of it that way. I just thought, oh my goodness, nine years old, you know, um, but okay. Well, love that. So there was another clip you sent me, um, but I'm not going to play that one. I'm not going to play that one because of time constraints, but I'm going to read it and we'll talk about it. Okay, so it was another daughter saying that she brought her three-year-old daughter around her mother. So she's an adult, brought her daughter around her mother, and the three-year-old's grandma said to her, uh, hey, I heard you went to the circus with your other grandparents, <laughs> your other grandparents, and you probably just had so much fun and you like them better than me. And then the three-year-old was probably excited and said, yes, you know, and then that grandma said to that three-year-old, uh, you're an awful brat, you know, and, and then demeaned her for saying, yes, she had fun and, you know, a total mind, you know, screw there uh, with grandma. And so the woman that wrote you said, that's when she knew not to bring her daughter around her mother anymore because it would be repeating her own childhood. And thankfully that light bulb went off, you know, for, for that lady. But my, my question is about this is, um, because I know that you are a big component, or, I mean, a big um, advocate of boundaries um, when it comes to dealing with people like that. And so she set a boundary, it seems like, but 
our children who have parents with borderline personality disorder are they likely and i know that this is probably a two prong and you know another $99,000 question for you but um are they likely to be so aware of what was wrong in their childhood that they won't repeat the similar things that happened to them? Or are they more likely, is it a hereditary thing that they're more likely to do what was done to them? I, I know that's a loaded question, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a good question and it incorporates a lot of the elements of things that we're looking at now in terms of causes uh, of, of BPD and also transgenerational uh, transmission, you know, through the generations and how that works. Uh, and in the example the, that you gave, which is a wonderful one, uh, and uh, what, what we see in that uh, example is that the grandmother of the three-year-old has BPD. Mm -hmm. The mother who is writing this uh, letter to me, or email letter to me, does not have BPD. Mm -hmm. And she recognizes that things that she was, again, as a child, perhaps willing or, or had to tolerate herself, she was not willing to tolerate that uh, happening to her daughter. And so she had a protective response uh, to her daughter, uh, which uh, all good mothers do, uh, and said, you're not gonna hurt my kid. And, and as you said, set up the boundary. Um, before I get into the, the, the generational piece of it, I do wanna point out that, because you said I'm a, a fan of boundaries and, uh, and I am, and that's true. Uh, and so is everybody else. The, the issue is that healthy people have natural boundaries. And so a healthy grandma doesn't hurt her grandchild. Yeah. A healthy grandma does not uh, compete with the other grandparents for a three-year-old's affection. That is unhealthy. Uh, and uh, uh, again, healthy grandparents, they don't do that and they don't need to be told not to do it. Right. Healthy people uh, have natural boundaries. They don't touch you when you pull away from them. They don't scream at you when you tell them you don't like what they're saying and so on and so forth. So when you have to actually set boundaries, chances are you're dealing with someone with some sort of personality disorder or some sort of mental issue that doesn't allow them to set boundaries themselves. Interestingly enough, some uh, people are not good at setting boundaries and these are healthier actually people, but when you give them boundaries, they're very happy to have them. Mm -hmm. So an example of that uh, might be a form, some form of autism or, or, uh, or just people who you know, have not been experienced in life. And you tell the person, it's one of my, this is one of my favorite examples actually. I had a buddy in, in grad school who was from Tehran and we were going to visit the Middle East, uh, but then a war broke out and we uh, couldn't do that anymore. But as we were preparing to do that, uh, this friend of mine said to me, hey, you know, when you're, when you're in Tehran, you, are, you don't show the bottom of your shoe to other men. If you do that, they'll get very angry with you. Right. And I said, I don't understand that. And they said, well, that, he said, I know. He said, it's something from that culture uh, that it's insulting. You show the bottom of your shoe and it, it, it conveys that you're dirt or you're worthless or something to that effect. And it's offensive. 
Uh, hearing that from my friend, his name was Mosin. Uh, hearing that from Mosin, I was very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mosin. Thank right. you. I'm not going to fight against that. Oh, I want to show everyone my shoe. No, I'm not. <laughs> Thanks, Mosin. I appreciate the heads up. Exactly. And so healthy people accept boundaries. They don't uh, uh, push against them, reject them, uh, or test them. Yeah. So with regard to the, the transgenerational transmission or the intergenerational transmission of BPD, the issue is whether the child of a person with BPD or any other uh, uh, personality disorder for, uh, for that matter, identifies with that parent or not. And so if the child identifies with a mother, for example, who has BPD, and of course we know that fathers can have BPD too, but in this situation, if a, if a, if a person is identifying with the mother, a female child is identifying with her mother who has BPD, and there's no other adult to identify with, then whereas she doesn't like to be abused, she sees that nonetheless as the way women should be, because we're programmed to think the way mom is is the way women should be, and I wanna be like that. And I see that mom gets a lot of power from lashing out. So I'm gonna learn how to do that. And that's where I'll get my power. Whereas other children uh, whose parent has BPD, say a mother in this, just in this example, uh, they don't identify with the mother. And they say, that is exactly what I don't wanna be. Yeah. And a person like that, particularly if there's a stable other parent, could be a father or in today's world, it could be another mother, they sure. will identify with the healthier parent and they will not, or be less likely, I can't say not, but will be much less likely to have that disorder themselves because they have a healthier model and they can reject the unhealthy model. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I often think back to, you know, my situation growing up with my mom and even as a little girl, I mean, little girl, like I was probably five or six and I knew something was not right, you know? And, and so, and, and even up into high school when I was doing beauty pageants and they asked, you know, who's your mentor? And I said, well, I know, I don't really know if I have one. I said, I, I do love my mother, but I know I don't want to be anything like her. You know, and then, you know, I always joke, needless, I did not win that. <laughs> but um, so I just always, yeah, think back to, I feel like in my gut, even as a younger child, I knew that that wasn't right the way she was behaving, the out, you know, the outburst. And just um, even though she was lovely as she could be, a lot of times there were episodes, as you know, you know. Um, so, yeah, great, great way to answer that. I love that. Okay, so let's move on to um, the third one. I wanted to uh, have everybody listen to this clip too. Um, and also, Dr. LaBelle, the reason I asked that question is because the next audio we're about to hear is a woman who left home uh, at 19 years old, and I don't believe that she went back there, but her mom beat her like her grandma beat her mom. And that's kind of why I um, asked that original question to begin with. But she said her mom always voiced how much she sacrificed, you know, to have her daughter and that she should just be, you know, happy that 
um, I'm your mother and I gave birth to you, you know, and that I brought you into this world as that old, old saying goes, you know, I brought you in and I can take you out kind of thing. Um, but let's listen to this audio clip and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, um, whether you think she did the right thing, but um, really interested too, because this scenario that we're about to hear reminds me of this two-part podcast that I did a couple of weeks ago called Bonding Over Mothers with uh, Bipolar Disorder. And my guest did somewhat of a similar thing. So let's take a listen here. I left home as soon as I could, age 19, got a job and never went back home to my BPD mother, who always said, one, how much she loved and sacrificed for me, and two, criticized everything I did and said I was ungrateful. Adults said I was a quiet, obedient, submissive child with perfect manners because I was terrified of my mother's rages and beatings for being bad. Yet she described with bitterness that her mother had been just like mine, sweet and charming outside the home, a monster in it. I tried as an adult to develop an adult friendship with her, but it didn't work. Finally, I divorced her, only sending birthday and Christmas cards to assure her I thought of her. When she died, I didn't cry. In fact, I was relieved, but regretted that I never had a mother I could love enough to grieve over. But I have no regrets. She was emotionally handicapped, and I have forgiven God for letting me be born to her. I do owe my toughness and flinty refusal to be manipulated by anyone to having survived her. From the time I was a child, I resolved I would never have children. At 73, I didn't and have no regrets. I never wanted to be the parent my mother was and knew that just wanting to be different didn't mean you had the capacity to actually do it. My mother often told me how desperately she tried not to be like her own mother, but she failed. And deep down, she knew, though of course would never admit it. Since my mother died, we are both at peace. I once told her that in heaven, we would actually like each other. Except for being a controlling mother who actually hated men, including my dear stepfather, who was normal, and who after 30 years told me he had to divorce her just to save his own sanity, which I perfectly understood. She was, in her own way, a good woman. Okay, so then, Dr. LaBelle, give us your expertise on, on, on this um, situation. Well, uh, I think that uh, this person uh, is, uh, in some ways, uh, it makes me very sad, actually, to hear her story. 
Uh, and in, this, in the beginning part of the story, we hear from her what we've discussed earlier, you and I today, uh, in this uh, podcast, April, about how you know they, they are trapped until they reach a certain point yeah. and they just can't wait to get out. Uh, and those who get out, uh, they stay out for the most part. And that's exactly what this person did. And that's exactly what she's talking about. Um, I don't, I've never met this person. She yeah. wrote that, that articulate and, uh, and sad uh, email to me. But the part that makes me very sad is her choice uh, not to become a mom herself. And there could be a lot of reasons why she, she chose to do that. But in, in this particular communication, she's indicating that the reason she's choosing not to become a mom is, because, I guess, because she's afraid to be like her mom uh, or, or something of that sort. To me, that signals a part that despite the fact that she's in her 70s, this is a part that was not healed. Yeah. This is clearly, in my mind, uh, a wound that continues to, uh, you know, uh, a gaping wound that continues to exist and to bleed. And, uh, you know, with her, uh, I, you know, the, the window sort of closed. I don't know, you know, there's no point to working on having her at this point, uh, honestly, you know, work on being a mom. Uh, she might have some other opportunities in her life and to be around children or to be nurturant, and I would encourage her to do that. But uh, she hasn't freed her, she freed herself enough from the model of the mother to not want to be like it, but she didn't have access to another model to, to hold on to. And I had wondered, actually, as you were talking about yourself, April, if you had another person, an aunt perhaps, or a grandparent, or it could even be a teacher or a coach or, or, or the friend of a, of a mother, uh, another model for you that allowed you to escape the situation of having a mother with BPD uh, and also have a full personality of your own that's different. Yeah, it is. It's interesting that this, I think this lady also um, hit my heart too, because honestly, Dr. LaBelle, and I don't remember if we discussed this in prior episodes, but my mom is also a good reason why I've never wanted to have kids. Um, you know, I, I'm watching this show. It's on HBO. It's called Mayor Easttown, I think, or something of that sort, but it's based in um, Pennsylvania. And it's a detective. She's a mom and she has a son. He becomes, you know, drug addicted and he ends up killing himself. And he has a, his own child before you know, he dies and the, the mom of that child is also, you know, a, a drug addict. And, you know, in this scene, um, it's the, the main character. Oh my gosh, she's a famous actress. I can't think of, of who it is, but it's a great show. And she says, will this cycle ever end? Please, God, don't let my grandson get this illness too. And that is to my fear is that I want this stuff to die and be done with it in my family. And that's, it was, was a big fear of mine of having a child that could have this illness because I don't, um, but what if my child did? And then I'd be having to deal with this all over <laughs> again, you know, and uh, selfishly, but at the same time, and also too, honestly, if, if I were to, to have ever gotten pregnant, I would of course have had, 
the the baby and, and loved it and nurtured it but that was always something in the back of my mind that has always you know made like a pit in my stomach what if now I'm probably past the years and you know if I want to I can adopt and I've oft, often thought about that um but yeah it's sad huh it's very sad, uh, and and it's also very interesting, by the way, that uh, and I realize this wasn't part of your question, but I'll throw it in there anyway uh, because I think you're, the listeners would be interested. That people who have had a mom with B, with BPD or or any mental illness, for example, when they have a child of their own, uh, as the child is growing, starting from very early on, the mom mm -hmm. naturally good moms uh, and dads uh, empathize very strongly with their children. Yeah. And so when they empathize with a child who's two or three or four or five or six, it brings back to them what they went through when they were two or three or four or five or six. And so many of the, the moms that I work with who had moms with BPD, when they have their own children, they find themselves experiencing painful things through their empathy with their child going back to their own, their, their, their regressions or mini regressions that are caused by their empathy with their child going through the different stages of development. Each of these uh, empathic experiences is painful for sure, but each one is also a great opportunity for healing. And healing uh, yourself from a bad childhood through your own uh, parenthood is a wonderful thing and a wonderful way to bond with your child. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, I just uh, wanna add that um, this is a terrible disease. All mental illness uh, affects not only individuals but everybody around them. And, and borderline personality disorder is, is, a, is a hallmark example of a, of a disorder that affects not just the person who we refer to as the identified patient, but the entire family. And a lot of the work that I do, and it really touches upon your last question, April, with regard to passing it down through the families, it, it has to do with working on the family, people who don't have BPD, but they enable it. Yes. And so whether or not it gets passed down, another very big factor here is whether family members who don't have the disease actually enable it, which, which largely involves giving in to tantrums and inappropriate requests and, and empowering a person to behave uh, in a way that's hurtful uh, to others by, by allowing them to achieve their goals by hurting other people. That should never happen in families ever, I think it should never happen anywhere, but it certainly should never happen in families. So if anybody sees people being hurt in their family by another family member, if you don't say anything, and if you don't do anything, you are enabling the disease and you are responsible. So you need to say something, you need to do something. And as we said to the person who, who wrote to you earlier, we all need to fight this disease together. We need yes. to work together against the disease as an individual, as a family, as professionals, and as part of the community, like yourself. 
You know, I love that you said that. And I know during our first um, borderline personality disorder episode, we talked a lot about enabling and it is hard to sometimes not enable them because they can wreak such havoc on your life if you don't give in to them. But um, as you said in that very first episode, you know, we did a lot uh, with that with our mother of just, you know, saying, just give her the damn pills. Um, so she shuts the hell up. And you said, and that made your mom's sickness worse. And it did because it enabled her to take more medication and it didn't do any of us any good. So, you know, for those of you listening to this episode, listen to Dr. LaBelle and try and fight and, you know, fight it and grin and bear it and don't enable them. It's, I come from it and I, I know it's, it's, it's easier uh, in the short term to enable, but in the long run, it'll, it'll be better. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. LaBelle, again for, for joining me. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you, April. And, and I guess it's our anniversary too, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Cheers to us. <laughs> LaBelle has a third book coming out in January, available on Amazon called Stop Walking on Eggshells for Parents. How to help your child with borderline personality disorder without losing yourself. If you're interested, go ahead and check that out. And I sure hope you got something out of this episode. If you did, would so appreciate a review. Reading those means the absolute world to me. And this episode is going to wrap up my first season of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. I hope you go back, you listen to the others. They're loaded with lots of crazy, cringy, weird, but inspiring nuggets. And I hope that you know you're not alone. I'm going to take a couple months off. I'm going to get a new lineup for next season and work on that. You can always email me by jumping onto my website, ofcoursetheymakemecrazy.com, or DM me on Instagram. And if you have a topic or an issue that you would like me to address, let me know. My goal is to help you, and doing that is easier when I know what is bothering you or what is making you curious. I have lots of love for you. Have a great summer.